enjoy Him forever. This is the purpose for which you were made. And everybody needs to know that this is the purpose for which they made. Because it tells us how to act and that this is not over. That our job is to enjoy God. Your job is to enjoy God forever. When you enjoy God, you glorify Him. When you glorify God, you enjoy Him. You can't have one without the other. These two are tangled up and they can't be separated. Everyone needs to know why they're here. Without this purpose, we get lost. That's why we say people who don't know Jesus are lost. They're going the wrong direction. Everyone needs to understand their purpose. This passage here in Genesis gives us our purpose. It is extremely liberating to find that our purpose of glorifying God and enjoying Him are the same thing. That they're intertwined. God has not crafted you for an abysmal fate of worshiping Him in drudgery. That's not worship and it doesn't glorify Him. Glorification of Him is easy when we see who He is and what He's done and what He's done for us. About one of the things that, as I'm reading and studying and reading people, one of the quotes that's stuck out in my mind for years since I read it is a quote by Augustine in his Confessions. He wrote this about 1,500 years ago. And in his confessions, it's basically his spiritual autobiography, what he did before he was saved and how he came to know Christ and how his life changed. And this is a quote from part of that book. He said, How sweet all at once it was for me to be rid of those fruitless joys which I had once feared to lose. You drove them from me, you who are the true, the sovereign joy. You drove them from me and took their place. You who are sweeter than all pleasure. Now, is, is Augustine being melodramatic? Is he being over the top? Is he being too sentimental or spiritual? No. He uttered the secret to life. This is the secret to life and the secret to stopping sinning. If you want to stop sinning, I'm serious. If you want to stop sinning, all you have to do is enjoy God more than your sin. And all you have to do to enjoy God more than your sin is to see God for who He is. Every single thing that you covet and clamor for, God actually gave you for your joy. But when you love it more than the Creator and do not give thanks, it will consume you. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. That today is our purpose. Our purpose is to glorify God and that God Almighty delights in our delight. It gives him joy to see our joy. And he means for our lives to be delightful. Jesus said, I have come that their joy might be full. We're called to live a joyful life. So I want to read to you Genesis 2, 4 through 25. And as we talk about the Garden of Eden and the creation of man, I want you to see how God designed it for us to delight in him through the things which he made. Verse 4. These are the generations of the heaven and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the heaven and the earth. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. 
And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden and there it divided and became four rivers. The first was the Pishon. It was the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bedalium and onyx stone are there. And the name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth is the river Euphrates. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to worship and to obey. Or your translation may say to work it and keep it. We'll talk about that. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You shall surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This at last is the bone of my bones and the flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. For she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Before we talk about the creation of Adam and Eve. I want us to look at the preparation of the place where they're going to live. Garden of Eden. God made the garden for mankind to dwell in. So it's going to tell us something about our purpose and something about God's meaning for us to look at the place which he has built for us to live in. It's an easy detail to overlook the Garden of Eden, but it's detrimental to overlook it because it provides for us a detail and will help us to understand God, ourselves, and our future. Look at verses 8 through 14. God gives us very specific directions to the Garden of Eden if you want to go find it. He planted a garden in the east. It feels like east is this way because I'm looking at a map in my mind, but that's probably not right. Flows out of the east, and there were four rivers there, the Pishon, and there was gold, and there was bedellium and onyx stone, precious stones is what the Bible is saying here. It's around the area of the Tigris and Euphrates. Now, it's easy to overlook this detail, but I want you to see it. The word here in Hebrew where it says garden, it means a place hedged around. A place hedged around, a garden. It means a place of safety. So God has placed there a place that is hedged around. And Eden in Hebrew means delight. So he has hedged this place around, a place of protection, and he has put them in a place that he named delight. A protected place for mankind. And it was delightful. The garden was watered by many rivers. It was full of food that was good to eat. And that detail always makes me so happy. I cannot wait to be in heaven. 
It says here that every tree was good for food except for one. You can't eat from the knowledge of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this teaches us about how fallen our world is. Because if you get lost in the woods now, unless you can catch a squirrel or a rabbit or a fish or something, you're going to starve to death out there probably. Or you'll be boiling pine needles and eating bark. There is not trees out there. Not many. They're good for food. But every tree in the garden was a delight and good for food. It was paradise. Besides that, the place was full of gold and precious stones. Now, this is important to see because this is a theme that's going to come back up in the Scripture, in the Pentateuch. Now, what we're studying here is Genesis. You think of Genesis as a separate book, but actually Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy are all the same book written by Moses called the Torah or the Pentateuch. I always tell people this so they won't forget it. Penta means five. I'm not sure what toque means, but whatever a toque is, we got five of them. So it's five toques, the Pentateuch, five books. The first five books are all written by Moses. And so how that can help your mind start thinking about it is when other themes pop up in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, know that he set the pattern for us before. And there's a pattern here in the garden. When he talks about it being adorned with gold and precious stones, what else in the Pentateuch is adorned with gold and precious stones? A place where the presence of God dwells. The tabernacle. The tabernacle of God. Remember they toted it around in the wilderness? If you're not from Alabama, toted means to carry. They carried the tabernacle around with them in the wilderness and it was hedged in, remember? With a big curtain and then they put the tent of meeting there in the middle and it was the ark of the covenant and all those things were adorned with precious jewels when they build the temple it's even more so like that and it is kept and guarded by the priests what you never saw that before that's why you pay me the big bucks the garden of eden is a temple the garden of eden is a place where man and woman was put to worship god and to enjoy his fellowship forever and he made it gorgeous it was full of beautiful trees from which you could eat. Everyone, except for the one, we'll talk about that next chapter. It had water, had everything you could need, and it had the presence of God, and it was hedged around and protected. It was a temple. It was the first and best temple the world has ever seen. It was glorious. One of my favorite teachers who passed away recently, and when I found out he died, I cried because he helped me so much. Dr. Selhammer says in his book, the Pentateuch is narrative. If you've never read it, it sounds super boring. But if you'll read it, it'll change you. He says, if we take the purpose of such descriptions of the Garden of Eden in the later literature of the Pentateuch of the Bible as a guide, the point of the description of the Garden is to show the glory of God's presence through the beauty of the physical surroundings. The reason that God made the Garden of Eden so beautiful and full of gold and precious stones and rivers flowing through it and trees good to eat is so they could see who God is through the things which he has made. He puts them there and adorns it like the tabernacle with beautiful stones and gold. I said that the Garden of Eden is the most beautiful temple the world has ever seen. And another temple is coming. If we understand the first, we understand the last. At the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 21, verse 18, it says this. The wall of the new city of Jerusalem was made of jasper. We got walls again, a place hedged around. 
It's made of jasper, precious stones. And the city is pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The end is like the beginning. God is once again creating for us a place to dwell where we might worship Him and obey. And so, you see the beauty of the Garden of Delight that God has made for Adam and Eve, and He puts them there for what purpose? It's your purpose, too. He puts them there to be priests. Their purpose is priestly. God created man from the dust of the ground. He created Eve out of his side. (laughs) I love Matthew Henry's commentary on this. He wrote this several hundred years ago with regard to what it was like for man and woman. He said, if the man is the head, woman is the crown. A crown to her husband and the crown of visible creation. The man was dust refined, but the woman was dust double refined. One removed, one removed further from the earth. The woman was made out of a rib from Adam's side, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled on by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. I don't know if that's 100% true, but I love it. He did, after all, craft her. From his side. And there's something you can't see here in English. Unfortunately, we just got one word for put. When it says that God twice, it said he puts him in the garden. But the second time he uses the word put, when he puts Adam in the garden. And by the way, Adam means mankind. He's representing more than himself. It transitions from mankind all of a sudden to a proper name. To show us that he's a sort of every man. The first man. God puts Adam in the garden and the word... Put here has special uses in Hebrew. It means to put in rest or safety whenever man is safe from wild animals and things in his land. He can live in peace and safety when he's been put there. And it also means when it's put, it means to be dedicated. When stuff is put in the temple, it is there to be dedicated to the Lord. God puts them there for a special purpose. We only got one word for put, but they got two. At least two. This means that it is consecrated for God. Adam was put in the Garden of Eden so he could be safe and enjoy God's fellowship. He was placed there by God for a purpose, to glorify Him and enjoy Him forever. It says here in verse 15, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Delight. And your translation says to work it and keep it. And I'm going to tell you that most every translation says that. But there's a problem. If you go and you read the commentators, you have to get really nerdy. So follow with me at the moment. A lot of you have had Spanish, right? Or French or something. They teach y'all anything in school today. So in those languages, you have masculine and feminine nouns. And you get into Spanish or you get into French or you get into Romanian or Latin or something. You're trying to get educated. And they start talking about masculine and feminine nouns and you don't know what you're talking about. What in the world? Because we don't have that in English. Well, they've got it in Hebrew. And here in Hebrew, the adjective has to match the gender of the noun when it's describing. And garden here is masculine. And what looks like the preposition on the end is feminine. 
They don't match. So the it doesn't look like it's describing the garden. So there's a long history on why the vowel points got there and all this stuff. I don't want to get you too dizzy in those details. But this can be translated, if you understand that, not as referring back to the garden, to worship the Lord and obey Him. To worship and obey Him. That makes sense of this passage. Why was Adam and Eve, why were Adam and Eve put in the garden in the first place? To worship the Lord and to obey Him. To worship and obey is the purpose. And when they fail that purpose, they can no longer stay in the garden as priests. If they will not trust Him, they will not worship Him, they will not obey, they're out. They do have a vocation. I'm not saying that work is unimportant. Work becomes a big theme after this, but work is less fruitful than it was before. The job of everyone, your primary purpose is not for you to figure out if you want to be a mechanic or a plumber or a preacher or whatever it is your vocation may be. Here is your vocation to worship and obey the Lord. That is why He has put you in this place. And every single thing you do besides that is supposed to be worshipful and obedient to God. That is our purpose. And when that purpose is sidelined, when we forget that our purpose is to worship and obey God and to enjoy Him forever, we get lost. Adam and Eve were the original priests of the garden to work it, work it and to keep it, to worship and obey. That was their job. And they only had one rule, right? Don't eat from the tree. And that's our purpose too. Worship and obey the Lord. So God makes Adam from the dust. Actually, it just says dirt. So there you go. We're made out of dirt. Breathes the breath of life into him. This harkens back to the Holy Spirit. Spirit in Hebrew is breath. He breathes into us the breath of life. The spirit of life is given to us. We are made in his image so that we might commune with God and fellowship with him and understand him and work with him. And God made man for God, not for tilling the ground. Our purpose is not to till the dirt. Our purpose is to fellowship with God. We were created for fellowship. Our first fellowship is with God, and we are made to enjoy Him forever. And look, he says that he took the man and he puts him in the garden. In verse 18, he looks and he says, It's not good that man should be alone. It's not good that Adam should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him, a helper suitable for him. And God says that he had made every beast of the field and he goes by and he lets Adam name them all. And still there was found no helper suitable for him. So the Lord God calls him to fall asleep. And he made the woman from his rib. And what's interesting, when he makes man out of the dirt, he baraz him. He creates him, he baraz him. But when he... Every time I say this, everybody laughs, but it's the truth. When he made Eve, he did not bara her, he asad her, which means built. So the first woman who was ever built was Eve. You can take that pun however you want. And what I also love is, this is so good, it's so romantic. Is it Valentine's Day? I wish. When he built this woman for Adam, and he sees her, the first words a man ever speaks is poetry. 
The first thing Adam did when he saw his wife was speak a poem. So poems aren't sappy or for wimpy people. It's what manly men do in response to the most beautiful thing they've ever seen. This is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. If you look in your Bible, you'll see that that's probably indented from both sides. That means that the Hebrew there is poetry. Bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. In Hebrew, man is ish. Woman, isha. They're the same. Equal, built together for one another to glorify God forever through their relationship. Why was it bad for Adam to be alone? Why is it bad for you to be alone? What God is saying here is not that everybody has to be married. That's not what he said. He did not say it is bad for a man not to be married. That's not what he said. He said it's bad for him to be alone. You can never, ever be alone the way Adam was alone. Let me explain that. There was nobody else. That seems obvious. But even if you were going on a mission field and... God forbid your plane should crash and you wind up deserted, living on a deserted island like some movie. You still won't be alone. Because you will remember your mom. You will remember your dad. You will remember your friends. You will remember all those people back home. You will remember the books you've read. When you read books, by the way, you're getting into the minds of other people. It's amazing. That's what books are for. You get to hear their thoughts and read them. So you'd have books and thoughts and poems and songs. And you'd probably start singing songs to yourself all the time on a desert island. Because what else do you have to do? But you would remember all of these people. Adam had never shared a thought with another human being. He had never heard another human being talk. He'd never read another human being's book. He had never heard how someone else enjoyed a thing. Have you ever in your life met someone who was excited about something that you'd never heard of or seen? And they begin to describe how awesome this thing is. And as they described how awesome this thing is, you started wanting that thing. Unfortunately, this happens to me all the time. I could list you some of my latest obsessions of things that I want because other people tell me how awesome they are. Big green egg. I want one so bad. But every time I go price one, I don't want it as much anymore. But they're awesome. Man, I could I tell my wife I could make some ribs on that thing and some Boston butt be glorious. Now I'm talking about ribs and Boston butt. And how many of y'all started wanting to enjoy that just now? See how it works? Adam had nobody ever to tell him about Boston button ribs. So good. He didn't know. He didn't know. Somebody tells you about a restaurant. I was riding with Steve the other day. We passed this Mexican restaurant on the way to Huntsville. And he said, they've got the best salsa and chips I've ever had there. He might not have said ever had, but that's what I heard. And ever since I've heard that, every time I pass that place, I think, I want to go there and eat their salsa. Because he said it was good. This is huge, and not the salsa, but fellowship. It's not good for you to be alone because you can't enjoy things. And all of those things, we go back to enjoying God. Remember when Paul said, whatever we eat, whatever we drink, we do it for the glory of God? The salsa tells me God loves me. <laughs> ah, you laugh, it's true. Do you have to taste food? Why did God give us taste buds? What 
practical use are they? Other than perhaps poison tastes bitter, so we won't eat it. I don't know if it is or not. I've never been poisoned, but I'm just guessing. Probably don't taste good. Why do you have taste buds? It's just a little something God gave us. So we could eat food and go, wow, that is good. I went to Cold Stone Creamery yesterday. I got a new ice cream. Listen, it's called Strawberry Shortcake. I got them to put pieces of little yellow cake in it and stirred it up, and I worshiped the Lord. (laughs) It was a little garden of delights. And we just getting started like food is, we laugh because it's such a small thing. But, you know, I got kids too. Sometimes they make me delight in the Lord. And marriage and friendship, sports and stuff. The woods, some of you like them. You like to go climb up in trees when it's 20 degrees and the wind's blowing around. It's cold and you're just hoping a big deer will walk out so you can shoot it. Worship the Lord that way. I like to do that too. And you eat it and you're like trying to get everybody. People say, I don't like deer meat. It's like, it's because you had never had it right before. You can't understand why they don't delight in what you're eating. This is what we were made for. This is why God made a woman there. Yes, it was for the procreation of the human race. We had to have a man and a woman. But it, was, it killed two birds and one stone. It gave him a wife and companionship. But I don't want us to misunderstand Genesis chapter 2 here to say that somebody has to be married because you can't be alone now. You shouldn't be alone now. No one should sequester themselves and be alone. If you meet a man who has no friends, you meet an unhealthy man. If you meet a woman who has no friends, you meet an unhealthy woman. We have to develop relationships with one another so that we can love life. You know, when we don't love other people, when we don't have friends and we're all alone, we will become bitter and soured people and won't enjoy our lives. But when we're in right community and fellowship with one another, we enjoy our lives and are able to enjoy the things God has given us. You are all awesome ideas that tell me ideas where I can enjoy God together with you and the things which He has made. That's why the Garden of Eden is so beautiful. Everywhere Adam and Eve went, Eve was like, hey, look at this thing. Oh, man, that thing is awesome. He was like, look at this thing. That thing is awesome. And here, when he walked out and said the poem, he was like, you're awesome. You're like me. I just saw all these animals and some dogs and cats and elephants and zebras and tigers, but you are like me. You are bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And I'm going to call you of man because I'm a man and you're of me. That's what woman means, of man. I'm going to call you of man because I'm man. And she was so polite and good, she didn't even go, I don't even like that name. Just call me Eve. (laughs) And then we get a little explanation here. Man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. They were naked and not ashamed. They had nothing to be ashamed of. This is the beautiful place that God created for Adam and Eve to live in. This is the beautiful place we're headed for. We are bound for the promised land. A place hedged in by protective walls that are jasper, made of jasper, whose foundations are laid in precious stones. The gates of the city are made of huge pearls. And the gates are always open. You don't have to worry about anybody attacking it. But still, we got a place. 
a place that is safe for us where the presence of God dwells. And Adam and Eve were set, put in that place, placed there to worship God and enjoy Him forever. And when we malfunction as human beings is when we don't worship and obey God. When we don't delight in Him through the things which He's given us. The world is not bad. What did God say when He finished it? God looked at all the things which He had made and behold, it was very good. It was Hebrew. Tov meod. Very good. The world is good. Nothing wrong with it. Whatever we eat, whatever we drink, we're supposed to do it to the glory of God. The world's not bad. We are. And we misuse it. We place these things in the place of God. Augustine was a sinful guy, as everybody else is. He had a concubine that he didn't marry, a child out of wedlock who was a thief. Stole pears. Very wretched, huh? He talks about that. He said, my neighbor had a pear tree. And even though I had pears, all I wanted, I went over and stole his pears. And I ate one, and it wasn't even that good. I wound up feeding the rest of the pigs. So why did I steal them if I didn't want them? He said, it wasn't the pears I enjoyed, it was the stealing. Sinful. And all the things which he had, these sins in his life, he was scared he was going to lose them if he became a Christian. And he did. He lost his pleasure in stealing. Because he loved the God of provision more than he liked stealing from others. Suddenly the beauty of God drove from him all desires that he once had because he found that every sinful manufactured idol in his heart did not hold a candle to the beauty of the living God with whom he could now fellowship. He didn't have to stop stealing just because he disciplined himself. He stopped stealing because he didn't want to. He didn't find it. He found that he didn't have the same needs he had before. Now, before he thought he needed pears he didn't even want, but now he needed God who he could not live without the true and sovereign joy. So, as we read this about the hedged-in garden of delight, safe place where God could be with man and woman before we get to the nastiness of the fall and the next few thousand years of horror because of sin this is what we're made for and this is where we're going in the end heaven is described much as the garden of eden is in the book of revelation the bible describes heaven like it does the garden of eden it's a place it's a physical place you'll have a body you'll eat food there there are fruit trees there that bear fruit every month and there's no tree of the knowledge of good and evil there but there is a tree of life and anyone who believes on the lord jesus christ will have free access to the tree of life We'll see in the fall when they're barred from the garden they're barred from the tree of life so that they could not eat of its fruit but one day we will Partake of its fruit. And the way that this is made possible is by the second Adam. Adam was made out of the dirt of the ground. Jesus Christ, the second Adam, was made in a Mary's womb. Where Adam was disobedient, Jesus was obedient. 
Where Adam was the head of all who had sinned in his likeness, Jesus becomes those who would be obedient to the Father in his likeness. No longer do we have to wear the image of the sinful Adam. Now we can wear the image of the living God, the Christ who came to set right what once went wrong. And when he went to be crucified, he told us, I'm going to prepare a place for you. That where I am, there you may be also. He didn't prepare the place with carpentry tools. He prepared it through the cross. That's how he built it. Heaven is built on the sacrifice of the Son of God. And we will worship him and enjoy him forever as Lord and King and Brother. Because he wore our flesh. He ate our food. He lived our life that we should have lived. That's where we're going. So if you're ever bummed out, go and read Genesis chapter 2 and remember that God made a garden of delights and that he's going to restore it for all those who love him. And one day, the Bible says here that in the cool of the day, God came to walk with Adam. We will walk with him again. Hold on to that joy and know that you were made for that delight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your goodness and for your kindness. We thank you, Lord, that you have not called us to a life of drudgery and sadness. We're called to a life of delight that whatever we do, we should do it with all of our strength so that your goodness and greatness might be on display for everyone. Help us to be a joy-filled people, a people who see the goodness, the very goodness, and the things which you have made. God, help us to delight in you as we delight in them. And may you delight in our delight so that together our joy might grow and grow. Father, thank you for saving us. Thank you for restoring us. Help us to live as the stewards of the earth that you've called us to be. And may the things that we touch prosper and grow, not for our sake or for our enrichment, but so the world might see the greatness and beauty of you. Lord, help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you'll please stand.